name is Connor Bledsoe. I serve here as a student pastor. So if you're in high school or junior high, I encourage you to be there tonight. I get to shamelessly plug that right now. But I'm so glad you're here today for part two of Soul Care. And, uh, you know, being a youth pastor, you know, I see what we're going to talk about today kind of plague a generation more and more as I kind of go through the years. And today, you know, we're talking about the D word is depression. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, this has become a very common topic in culture uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, the church might kind of try, try, try to shy away from it, but I think it's so cool that we're talking about uh, depression today, you know. After last week, you know, uh, we talked to, we talked to uh, uh, Andy Yarbrough, which is an incredible job. And don't, don't y'all agree? I thought it was so spiritual and yet so practical. But it was such a good, uh, such a good service. And, you know, and after what, what, what's happened in the past year, you know, the statistics that are coming out are absolutely insane. You know, the mental health hotline has increased by 900%. Which is, you know, that's, 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 you know it's, it's jumping like Dogecoin, which, you know, not anymore. Uh, the statistic, you know, or, or, you know, an even more alarming statistic is one out of four people under the age of 30 have thought about suicide in the past year. Now, that's 25% of, a, of, of an entire generation that's thought about, you know, taking their life because of what's going on. And I don't know about you, but, you know, that isn't alarming to me. And even, you know, more close to home, you know, last year there was a string of pastoral suicides that kind of shook some churches to its core. It was like, you know, these are the people who were supposed to be helping, but are dealing with the very thing that they're trying to help people from. And I think, you know, you know like a lot of people, you know, my, my wife and I, you know, we had a pretty rough year last year. And to be honest, you know, I never thought I'd be in some of those mental places that I was at. But thank God that God got me out of it. But it, the reality is, is that this is a very real thing. I think, you know, and, you know, I, I never take this topic lightly because I, one time, you know, I was, speak, uh, I was speaking at our high school and I was doing a, um, a, a message on kind of suicidal thoughts. And it wasn't like, hey, you know, Monday I'm good, Tuesday I want to take all, and I wanted to end it all. But it was this idea of how, you know, we get from point A to point B through constant negative thoughts, you know, self-image, you know, not seeing worth. And it's not like, you know, it just happens, but it, it's, it's, it's this long, long process that, that people get from point A to point B. And so I remember, you know, I was like, no, this, this altar call is, is going to be absolutely, like, no one's going to raise it. It's going to bomb. And honestly, I remember I was, you know, it took my breath away to sit back at a Christian school with 250 kids and see one-fourth of the kids from 6th grade to 12th grade raise their hand because they had some kind of these thoughts. And so and from that day forward, I was like, I refuse to ever take this topic lightly. And so I, I always encourage, and I, 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 I love to speak about this. No, and no, and you know, and today, you know, uh, you know, we're gonna read the story, story of Elijah, to, to, to kind of uh, to go what we're going through. But before we get there, you know, I think we need to get through two four, uh, two forefront facts out the way. No, one is, you know, there are some really some real chemical imbalances. Like there are very real bio- biological and chemical balances or issues that cause mental health issues. You know, so it, it does not have to be COVID. It does not have to be a tragedy. It does not, you know, a scenario. Now, some people's body just have a chemical imbalance, all right? And so in no way are we trying to overlook, discount, you know, you know, make any less of that, you know, make fun of it or anything like that. No, we acknowledge that there are real issues and that medicine and doctors are required, and we thank God for that. You know? But see, but if we allow biology to have the whole narrative, we can miss out on some of the signals. Because, look, depression is not, not a malfunction of the mind, but it's a signal that something is going on and your body is trying to address it. So we are not writing off the chemical imbalances anyway. Please don't think we're doing that. We are just saying that maybe there are some things that we are missing and our body is trying to tell us. Because can we agree that a lot of times we are our own self-sabotage? I know that I am. And so we give merit that there are some forms of depression that are caused 
or, or not called anything other else than a chemical imbalance. And we thank God for medicine and doctors, all right? Number two is the stigma around mental health disorders. You know, if someone's wearing glasses, it's because their eye and organ is not operating to its full effect. If someone has, you know, um, diabetes or things like that, it's because their organ is not operating at its full effect. Well, there's no other organ like the brain that has the stigma that comes with it. No, whenever the brain does not, you know, you know uh, 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 work to its full effect, you know, it has this really bad stigma attached to it. And I think, you know, this is freeing for some people today. It was freeing for me today to realize that my illness is not my identity. No, what you are struggling with does not define who you are. And so what I am feeling is not who I am, but it's just what I'm struggling with. So it's just a season that you're going through. You know, and, you know, before we go on today, you know, you know, by the way, you know, this message is titled Six Ways That We Get Ourselves Into the Cave. You know, next week will be five ways we get out. But, you know, I think, you know, we have to look at the end result. No, no, okay, no, you know, what happens at the end? I think, you know, it's an important thing before you go anywhere to look at, you know, what is the end result of what we're talking about today? And the thing is, here it is, God wants you free and does not enjoy seeing you struggle. I'll say it again, God wants you free and does not enjoy seeing you struggle. No, Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free Stand firm and then do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And what's amazing is we can look through the whole entire Bible and we constantly see God using people who are messed up to progress the kingdom of God forward. And so your season of depression, your season of you know, maybe some, you know, you know, a cloudy mental state does not disqualify God from using you to progress the kingdom forward. Now, we, we can look at the Old Testament, you know, we see the prophet, this is a prophet of God, Jeremiah. A prophet, you know, he writes a whole book called Lamentations, lamenting on the destruction of Jerusalem. This is a, a book of depression. No, Lamentations 3, 20 says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. My guy is depressed. A prophet of God is going through a season of depression here. You know, and that, you know, if that's not good enough for you, you know, we can look into the New Testament. You know, the greatest apostle ever, Apostle Paul. You know, in 2 Corinthians 1 through 8, uh, it says, you know, we do not want you to be informed. I'll skip down. You know, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But even one of the, you know, even the greatest apostle in the Bible is going through a season of depression. And so it's okay for you and I to have these episodes. But we have to understand that, that, that we cannot be stuck in the cave. You know, and say, you know, what we'll do you know, is, you know, is, is we're talking about probably one of the best prophets in the Bible. And I say that. Because, you know, he is so important that he was included at the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. Now, whenever Jesus brings up uh, his disciples, his, his, his select few, you know, there is Moses and Elijah talking while Jesus shows himself uh, 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 up there. And, you know, and it's, so Elijah is so great that even heaven had to elevate him. But the reality is, it's even, great, even as great as Elijah was, he struggled with depression. And the most wildest part about the story is he had just went through one of his greatest spiritual battles. Now, if you know the story of Elijah, 
It was basically, it was Elijah verse 300 and or 450 of Baal prophets. You know, it's the story of the two bulls. You know, they danced, cut themselves, did whatever they do, and nothing happened. And so Elijah, you know, he says, you know what? He said, pour water on the bulls, dig the trenches, pour water. And he called and God breathed down fire, burnt up the bull, burnt up the water, and then it rained after it dried out after three years. And so that's kind of where we're at today. He says, you know, then the queen Jezebel at the time wants them dead. And, 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 so, and the, so, so we get to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under, under and prayed he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am be- no better than my ancestors. Right, and from this, you know, we can see six things that Elijah did to get himself in the cave. And in verse 9, he goes and hides in a cave from, from all, everything he's dealing with. Now, I think, you know, how fitting is it, you know, the idea of cave, you know, you know to metaphorically describe depression. You know, it's dark. It's lonely. It's confusing. I don't, I don't know how I got in. I don't know how, to, how I got out. But I think you know, it's the perfect picture of kind of how you feel in that state. And we have to realize that you know, there are some things that he did that got him to that point. And once again, look, remember, we fully accept that there are chemical imbalances and medication is the answer. What we have to acknowledge is there are some external factors that we can control as Christians. And so number one, it's called life imbalances. Now, oftentimes, you know, we talk about chemical imbalances that, you know, you know, that lead to depression, you know, you know, which, you know, which are real, you know, you know, and, and we give them, you know, what they deserve. But we always sometimes fail to address there are life imbalances that cause depression, which are also real. Which is crazy is more and more of the, of the statistics that come out, you know, we oftentimes find that life imbalances are oftentimes a leading cause to depression. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, we see it in the story of Elijah, you know, you know, his greatest depressive episode immediately following his greatest spiritual battle. You know, and I find, you know, that even relates to me. You know, I had these great, you know, spiritual battles of these high of highs. No, you know, you know, great battles with personal things or, you know, ministry things. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like these lows of lows. And it's like, why? See, I think, you know, when we get on these highs and we get arrogant, like, okay, you know, I don't need God. You know, that, you know I did that on my own. I did it by myself. You know, you know you're like, you know, you know, I have my life under control. You know, I, I am the God of my life. And what we do, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know is we kind of just let up. You know, the past few years, you know, I have been blessed to go skiing, not in the water, but in the snow. And I, and I love snow skiing. So one thing we always do, you know, we, we get there at 8 a.m. We whatever it opens. You know, it's in the morning early. But we always leave like at 2 o'clock because the slopes, you know, they close at 4. And the reason why we leave is because there's this crazy statistic that 90% of all accidents happen in the last part of the day. And the reason why is because, one, people have been skiing all day, so they're tired. You know, you know, you know, it's a toll on your body, you know, and so you know, they just can't do what they did before. But two, the good one is, you know, they've been skiing all day, and so they get overconfident. You know, they start to overthink their ability to do what they actually can do. And, and, and they make decisions that cause themselves, you know, you know, you know, to basically, you know, injure themselves. 
See, and I don't know about you, you know, but it can be the same way, way, you know, in a way spiritually for us. You know, we get, you know, we get arrogant and say, hey, you know, you know, I just want to battle. I can do it all on my own. See, and we have to realize that with life imbalances is that you know, everything that is doable is not always sustainable. Now, just because I can do it does not mean that it's a sustainable lifestyle for me to live. You know, um, you know, and so what happens, you know, you know, you know, is we create these paces in life with stress and demand and workload and different things like that that we can do in, you know, in short spurts of time, but eventually it catches up with us and it causes us to go into this cave. You know, the great author Stephen Lillardi has, has an incredible quote that says, you know, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Does that not describe culture today? So what do we do? Well, it's, it's simple. We go to the Bible. You know, I think, you know, the Bible is the very best thing that we go to. You know, it's the word of God. You know, it cannot be deconstructed. It, you know, you know, it is true in its form. You know, and by the way, you know, I have so much scripture today. Look, you can pick up your Masters of Divinity on the way out. But we're going to read some Bible today. All right? So Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, Better in one handful with tranquility than two handful with toil at chasing after the wind. No, better is, you know, in one hand is tranquility, but two it is, you know, is turmoil you know, and chasing them. So what does that mean? No, maybe just because you can afford it doesn't mean you have to buy it. Amen? Someone can agree to that? No, maybe just because you have the time does not mean that you have to agree to it. No, we can see, you know, in one hand is tranquility. No, 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 it's the life balance of putting the things that actually matter forefront. I don't know, you know, you know, you know, that's, you know, that's what I'm going after. You know, I, I, I want one hand tranquility. I want the peace of God in my life. You know, I want all that in my life. And the truth is, look, if it can happen to Elijah, it can certainly happen to us. Because unfortunately, you know, in America, our culture is, you know, if one is good, well, two has to be better. You know, if one job is fun, you know, our pays the bills, over two jobs is better. And even though, you know, I'm stressed out 51 weeks, I can afford that one night vacation that one week of the year. You know, if one hobby is fun, well, two has to be better, even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting my spouse, I'm neglecting my kids and different things like that. Two has to be better. You know, if one donut is good, well, two, no, two donuts has to be better, right? Calories don't count for the second one. See, one in the hand of tranquility, sometimes the problems that are plaguing us, it's just, there's just a life imbalance in our lives. You know, we have too much in our hands, and we're trying to balance too much at one time. And the demand and everything else, you know, it's doable for an instant, but eventually it catches up with it and it puts us in the cave. So one is life imbalance. Number two is comparing ourselves with, with, with others. Now, this is the second thing that Elijah had done. You know, he reverts back. He says, you know, I'm no better than my ancestors, which I have no idea why he's even going back in the first place. You know, and now, you know, you know, because of how society is set, you know, you know, we don't compare ourselves to our ancestors, but we, can, we, can, you know, we compare ourselves to, every, to everyone else. You know, and, you know, we have this little tool, you know, and I think you know, it's a halfway devil, halfway people called social media, you know, you know, we know way too much about people. You know, we post way too much about ourselves on these different things. You know, um, you know, you know Theodore Roosevelt said, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. You know, the more we wonder about them, it robs you of being you. Even better, you know, you know the Bible says that, you know, in Galatians 6, 4 through 5, each one should test their own actions. 
Then they take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. And the reality is Elijah was never, ever, ever going to have to answer to God for his ancestors. Just like we never have to answer to anyone to God except our own calling. So it, so it, 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 it was like, you know, why is Elijah comparing himself to his ancestors whenever his calling is never in question about anyone else but himself? See, if we consistently compare ourselves and look around to other people, no, we, we end up missing the focus on our own calling in our own lives. See, and the truth is, look, it doesn't have to be social media. It can be the news, stock market, no, 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 whatever culture puts out there, you know, no, no, so, so, so we can just consume in these unhealthy large amounts. Now, this year, you know, I, I kind of made this conscious choice to rid my mind of a lot of it. You know, I, I love politics, you know, I, I was kind of obsessed with it at one point. You know, I would watch the news, watch the weather, get on social media, scroll through the weather, you know, see what other pastors are doing. Oh, they had big crowds today. Look at more news on social media. And I quickly realized that this was, like, it, it, it was consuming my life. Like, you know, it affected the way I ate and I slept sometimes. I was like, this is so unhealthy. You know, and so this year I was like, you know what? I decided to have this thing called selective ignorance this year. You know, I, I currently I have one condition called selective hearing. I'm diagnosed by my mom and now my wife. And you know, they're, they're, they're pretty adamant that I have this thing. But the reality is that I only hear what I want to hear or what I, th- what I think I need to hear. And so the same way that you're, you know, you know what, I'm only going to need to know where I think I need to know. No, 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 I'm okay not knowing about what's going on the world, in the world 24-7. You know, no, I am informed, but I don't, I don't need it 24-7. No, I'm okay with not knowing what you ate yesterday for dinner. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. You can post it, but I just don't need to know it. And in the culture today, you know, we, it's like, you know, we have to know everything 24-7. We as Christians have to be okay with not knowing everything all the time. Because why? It's causing turmoil. It's an imbalance in our life that's causing us to compare, stress. And it's like, you know, it's, it's too much that, you know, that, 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 that we were never designed to carry. So those two, number three is ruminating self-talk. And I love this one. And we, and we won't read the scripture behind it because that's next week. Five ways to get out the cave. You got to come back now, sorry. But in this scripture passage, you know, Elijah, he's coming to God and he's aggravated, he's annoyed. And really what he's doing, he's throwing himself a little pity party. He's like, God, I'm the only Christian who serves you. God, I'm the only one who loves you. Everyone else has abandoned you. You know, you know it's only me. I'm the only person in the world. And he knew it wasn't true. He knew it, he knew it, but he had told himself to lie so many times that he actually began to believe it. And so therefore, he begins to project his lie onto God. Now, this process is something that we do in our lives called ruminating self-talk. No, what psychologists define it is that like, you take your distress, you, know, you start thinking about it, you know, so you think about it and you're processing it over and over and over again. Think about it, process it, Think about it, process it, think about it, process it over and over again. You know, and the thing is, you know, whenever we have ruminating negative self-talk, you know, it never gets any better. It only gets worse. You know, cows, they do this when they eat. It's really nasty, all right? They eat grass, chew it, swallow it, throw it back up, chew it, throw it back. Like, it's disgusting, right? Like, Anyone with a brain knows that grass never gets any prettier, you know, you know it comes back. Like, like, it's nasty, all right? 
And, 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 and it's the same way, you know, you know, you know with our thoughts. And the thing is, you know, it gets even worse, you know, wherever we handle these things by ourselves. You know, because the, you know, the devil loves self-talk. He loves negative self-talk. Why? Because it's isolated mental warfare. You know, I, you know, I don't have to take you out. I can just distract you with your own thoughts. You know, that's why, you know, in Corinthians, you know, it talks about, you know, taking captive of every thought. For me, you know, I know, I know, you know my most vulnerable moments are on Sunday nights, you know, I've been at church all day. I've, I've, I know I'll do youth at night. And at night, I'm like, you know, you know, why was attendance not higher? I get on social media, man. You know that youth church, they have more people than us. You know, why didn't we do it this way? You know, am I, you know, living up to the expectations of you know the history of my last name? All these different things. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know my most vulnerable times is kind of you know, you know, you know it's those, those highs of Sunday. Now, the, author, the author Brian Tacey says that 95 percent of your emotions are determined by the way that you talk to yourself. So if you can control the mind, you can control your life. And so, you know, you know self-talk, you know, you know, is so detrimental or influential in how we live our lives. You know, you know even the Bible addresses it in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice, notice it didn't say Netflix, Fox News, CNN, you know, whatever it is. No, but it's simply saying, you know, think about the things of me. You know, Romans 8 through 8, 6 says, no, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And the truth is, you no, know, for a lot of us, you know, what we have allowed to constantly speak into our mind has not only put us in this cave, but has kept us there. You know, you know, you know your negative, ruminating self-thoughts have put you in a cave, but has kept you in places where God is never, ever destined for you to be. You know, and so we have to understand that what we say in our mind, you know, the things that we think, the things that we input, all matter so much. So number four is the inability to process pain in a healthy way it's coping. You know, I talked about this to our middle schoolers just last month. Like, here's a crazy fact. You're not going to believe it, but everyone in this room, this uh, city, this parish, this state, this country, and this nation, or the world, has bad days. Shocking, right? Like, what? It's not only me? No. Everyone has bad days. And I think, unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people, you know, we have this wrong expectation of life on earth. And we, and, we, you know, and we even cast that on God. But people think you know, you know, that the earth owes them something and the happiness is just promised. Like I'm here, so I, deserve, I just deserve to be happy. No, and then, you know, you know, then we know we project that onto God and say, you know, you know, God owes me happiness. See, and we fail to realize that while we're here on earth, which obviously if you look around, it's, not, it's, it's easy to tell that no, this is not heaven, no, this is earth is that, you know, we are here as a rescue mission out of earth and into heaven. No, and, you know, you look, like, yes, no, Jesus does intervene and bless, you know, and, you know, but he does say in this world you will go through tribulation. You know, no one has that on the fridge. Can't wait for it, going through tribulation. But he also says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. So, look, we all experience pain. Like, if you don't have to, I encourage you, don't do it. Been there, done that. Not fun. 
But the question is, you know, whenever you do, what do you do? Now, how do you cope with pain? Now, and so the reality is we have a culture who are creating more and more unhealthy ways to cope with pain. You know, drugs, recreational or prescription. Uh, alcohol, you know, I don't have to deal with it if I can drink myself out of it. You know, uh, binge watching Netflix. You know, if, hey, you know, I don't have to think about my life if I just watch shows for 12 hours a night. Uh, you know, mindless scrolling on social media. You know, I, you know if, 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 I, if I can look at other people's lives, I don't have to look at my own life. See, all these things, look, they give you an escape with actually, with actually having to deal with actually what's going on. See, and, and, and then that's what makes them unhealthy. You know, speaking of, of, of unhealthy coping mechanisms, you know, in the first month of the pandemic last year, uh, drug usage went up 18%. Okay, that's bad. Second month, went up 29%. Third month, 42% increase in drug usage. Why? Because we have failed to realize have how to cope with pain in healthy ways. You know, there was this Jewish psychologist you know, who lived after uh, World War II named Viktor Frankl. You know, he wrote a book called you know, Man's Search for Meaning. And so his clinic was in Austria. And what he was doing is he was treating people who had survived the Holocaust. You know, and the thing was, you know, these people were, were extremely suicidal. You can only imagine what they had gone through. So it's, you know, you know, you know, you know what they're dealing with you know, after coming out of it. And, uh, and at the time, if you've ever studied psychology, you know the, uh, the, the, the prevailing method was Sigmund Freud, very weird guy, extremely weird if you've ever had to learn. I learned about it in college. But his uh, method was this, is that pleasure is the meaning to life. Is that if I can do enough things that, I, that, that give me instant gratification, my life will somewhat have meaning. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I see that in culture today. And do what feels comfortable, do what feels good, you know, you know, regardless of standard and moral or different things like that. You know, and it's all about what gives me instant pleasure in my life. But Franco was different. He had this different method. And what he said that the meaning to life was not pleasure, but the meaning to life was purpose. No, that, no, that, 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 that the greatest solution to give my life meaning is to say my life matters. And I think that's so true. Look, 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 you, you can chase pleasure so much that you'll dull yourself on the pleasures of the life. But if you follow the purpose that God's put in your life, I promise you something will change for the rest of your life. He created this therapy called logotherapy. And it consisted of three things. Number one was meaningful work, doing something that matters. You know, that's why here at HF, you know, we always encourage people to serve. Look, the church does not go down if you don't serve. But what it does is it allows you to do something without ever expecting return in it. So I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, you know, get uncomfortable, waste my time, my talent, so that other people who don't know Jesus can actually feel comfortable, you know, whenever they walk into the building. No, 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 no. It's a thing of, you know, no, 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 doing something that actually matters in life. Two is do it with, do it with the community of friends. No, that's how we push small groups. It's not something for church metrics. Like, hey, you know, we want you in a small group so we can count numbers. No, as we understand that a lot of people know that you're fighting battles and you're actually losing them because you're fighting battles that you were never designed to fight by yourself. No, no, and I think that some people, you know, you know, you're in the cave and the solution is community and it's just right there by you. But you're so isolated and the devil's having a heyday in your mind because you lack community as humans. You know, 
Last year, whenever my wife and I were in the hospital, you know, the very reason you know, that we got through what we got through is because we had community. You know, and, you know, you know, we had people say, hey, you know, you know, you know, you know, whenever you get tired, you know, we'll pray for you. you know, whenever you, know, you feel like you know, you know, you know, you're done, well, hey, you know, you know, you know, you know, we'll hold you up. Is why it's because we had community. And see, as Christians, as humans, we were designed to be in community with other people. There was stuff from you know, just the mundane, like tomorrow, you know, I'm doing the Murph Challenge you know, you know, with a lot of my friends. You know, we're all going to work out, and we're going to eat breakfast. Now, that's community, but also, you know, when you're we, we, stuck in the hospital bed with your son, we're all kind of wires hooked up to him. I thank God people were calling me, you know, you know, praying, me, you know, praying for me and my wife, you know, and lifting us up. You, know, you had to have community. Number three is to find reason and purpose for your suffering. To use your suffering some, you know, some way to help somebody else. Now, 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 6 says, For who comforts all of us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God? For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. It's that if I can get someone else how to get up, get through and get out, you know, it gives purpose to my pain. And it goes on in number five, you know, I'm running out of time, is uh, isolation and loneliness. You know, we already know, so, you know, we say it all the time, but, you know, but we are the loneliest generation in history. You know, you know, the, first part, you know, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin, but it was in solitude. Genesis 2.18 says, for men, man was not made to be alone. Now, Romans 12, you know, it describes us as body parts, not as the body. So as we can tell you know, from Scripture is that you know, we were not designed to be by ourselves, but we were designed for community. You know, you know, you know, we are part of a body. You know, we, 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 we play roles. See, and where Elijah had messed up, you know, as he went into the cave, he had left his servant behind. See, that was the bad mistake, you know, this idea of, you know, I have to take care of only me. I have to figure it out on my own. It's me versus the world. And we live in this culture that, you know, it overglorifies, you know, self-care. Hey, some of it's good. No, we need it. But God never intended you for you to live selfishly, but he intended you to live for other people to progress the kingdom of God forward. So we need community. And the last one, you know, it's not talked about or anything. You know, you, you know, if you look at studies, but we have to understand that we are not human beings with spiritual experiences, but we are spiritual beings with human experiences. You know, you know, and we cannot fail to realize that your spirit man or woman can impact all the other parts as well. And so number six is spiritual warfare. You know, what, if I, what if I had in, you know, inside information that today, hey, look, someone has a key to your house, they have the code, they, you know, they know the alarm code, you know, you know, they know it all. You know, they, they're angry, you know, you know, they're determined that tonight, you know, you know, they're going to hurt you and your family. You know, you can't stop it, you can't prevent it. You know, you know, you know, like, 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 it's going to happen, they have the key, like tonight's the night, like, 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 they're going to show up like, like nothing is going to deter them. Now, what would you be willing to do? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't sleep. You know, I, you know, I wouldn't eat coffee or Red Bull. Like, 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 I'm just staying up. You no, know, a lot of you, you know, you, you, know, you would uh, introduce them to your friend, you know, Smith and Wesson. 
little AR-15 buckshot or whatever it is. You're just like, hey, you know, this is my family. This is who I love. This is who I protect. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be alert and sober mind. No, no, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same suffering. See, and what we have to realize is that there is a determined enemy who is trying to take the calling of God for your life. No, his, he's planning, he's determined to destroy you. And so you have to actively, actively you know, you know, be participating in spiritual warfare. One of the most things I ever heard was, everything in your life is more spiritual than you're making it out to be. Everything. Everything in your life, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, everything you're, you're going through, you know, you know, it's more spiritual than you're making it out to be. Now, Ephesians 6.11, it tells us how to be spiritually active. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. But here's the reality. Just because you have it does not mean that you put it on. You have to engage in spiritual. You have to engage in, you know, you know, in reading the word daily. And spending time in the present, you know, you know, worshiping God every single day. You know, you know, you know, as Christians, you know, we cannot afford to be asleep because there's an enemy who is coming after us. Look, he, wants your, he wants your mental state so bad. God has given the authority, given us the authority, but we have to use it. So those are my six points of how we get ourselves in the cave. Could you bow your heads for me today? Maybe you're here in the room today, you know, and you say, Connor, you know, I have been in the cave. I'm struggling. I don't see, I don't, you know, I'm confused. It's lonely. I don't see the out. You say, you know, today, you know, I want to rededicate my life, you know, and, and to say, you know, I want to give my life to Christ because I want to be out the cave. You could just raise your hand for me. Nothing weird. I just want to pray for you real quick. Awesome. Awesome. Could you repeat after me? Say, dear God, God, I thank you for saving me. God, I thank you that even in some of my seasons, you still choose me spread the gospel. Today, I dedicate my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.